You all would think that would get easier to follow the second time around. But it's not. Y'all are a gift. Friends, our scripture passage for today comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 27, verses 1 through 11. This is the story of the daughters of Zelophehad, which is not a commonly told story, but I hope you enjoy it. Listen now for a word from the Lord. Then the daughters of Zelophehad came forward. Zelophehad was son of Hepher, son of Gilead, son of Machir, son of Manasseh, son of Joseph, a member of the Manasite clans. The names of his daughters were Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milcah, and Tirzah. They stood before Moses, Eleazar the priest, the leaders, and all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and they said, Our father died in the wilderness. He was among the company of Korah, but died for his own sin, and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be taken away from his clan because he had no sons? Give to us a possession among our father's brothers. Moses brought their case before the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad are right in what they are saying. You shall indeed let them possess an inheritance among their father's brothers and pass the inheritance of their father on to them. You shall also say to the Israelites, If a man dies and has no sons, then you shall pass his inheritance on to his daughters. If he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to the nearest kinmen of his clan, and he shall possess it. It shall be for the Israelites a statute and ordinance, as the Lord commanded Moses. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I have never been great at following sports. However, I have learned a thing or two from sports, courtesy of my baseball-loving family. For example, thanks to sports, I have learned that truly terrible, unhealthy food, like fake nacho cheese or dollared hot dogs, for some inexplicable reason, turn into desirable cuisine when at a baseball park. <laughs> And I have learned that the old Rangers Stadium in July might actually be the hottest place on the planet Earth. <laughs> and I have learned that the song, Take Me Out to the Ball Game, reminds me of my childhood, and it is nostalgic. But most importantly, I have learned over the years that there is a mentality in sports culture that says no matter what, Rain or shine, winning or losing, you never give up on your team. Do you feel that way? <laughs> you never give up on your team. If they have a bad year, you hold out hope for the next year. 
If ye have a bad game, you say, well, there's always the next one. And if things start out rough, you remind yourself that miracles have happened in the last inning. The door is always open to the possibility of a win. Now, as a non-sports person, this mentality fascinates me. This resilient hopefulness fascinates me because by and large, we do not live the rest of our lives like that. Rarely do we find ourselves with a challenging situation where the odds are not in our favor and think to ourselves, it's just a matter of time before things change. No, I wish we were more like that, but it's hard. By and large, our world is fluent in pessimism and familiar with doubt. Most of us are quick to recognize how hard it is for things and people and situations to change. So oftentimes we assume that certain problems are too big for fixing, and when people tell us that our voice is not loud enough to make a difference, it's hard not to believe them. When faced with a challenge where the odds aren't in our favor, it is a whole lot easier to assume that that's just the way things are than it is to hold out hope for a home run. And I know this metaphor is a bit of a leap. It is undoubtedly easier to remain hopeful when it comes to sports than it is to remain hopeful when it comes to systemic change or new life. However, in order to be God's church in the world, I think we could take a lesson from this sports fan mentality. Because in order to be God's church in the world, I think we, like the daughters of Zelophehad, cannot give up on our team. We have to hold out for a win. We have to imagine what could be. From the moment I heard this story, I was a fan of the Zalafahad daughters. I feel like we would be friends if we knew each other in real life. As a young adult woman, it is hard not to love this text. For this is a text, the story of five brave sisters, Mala, Holgla, Noah, Tirza, and Milka, say that five times fast. They are in the wilderness with their people, and they have recently lost their dad. Now, losing a family member is always painful. Many of us know that pain. However, what makes this death particularly painful compared to our modern-day grief is the fact that with the death of their father, these five sisters also lose their home. You see, the text is written while the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness. And as they walk year after year, the people promise one another, when we get to the promised land, each family will get their own plot of land. A plot of land to raise children, to grow food, to build a home on. It sounds like that beautiful American dream until you realize that this promise is only for part of the population. You see, land was passed from male heir to male heir in ancient times. Land was never sold back then, it was only inherited, and women never inherited anything. 
That means that land was passed down from father to son, and if you were a father that had five daughters and no sons, then when you died, your possessions and land would be given away elsewhere. So the sisters lose their dad, and with him they lose the promise of a home. They lose their security. They lose safety and economic opportunity. With him, they lose their chance at land to raise children, to grow food, and build a house. Now, knowing the context they were living in, it would have made a lot of sense if the sisters had just stuck together and toughed it out as best they could. The laws had been set in stone for years, and we know how hard it is to change something like that. However, instead of keeping quiet and going with the status quo, these five brave women go to Moses and do something unbelievable. The daughters of Zelophehad march up to the tent of meeting and ask to be treated like sons. In my mind, if this were a movie, this would be the pinnacle of the drama. The music would take a dramatic turn with the rhythm of the drum keeping track to the slow motion steps of the sisters as they moved toward the tent. The five sisters would have their arms linked at the elbow, holding on to one another, both in fear and in support. The camera might pan their feet, showing the sand kicking up behind them as they walk, and then pan to their faces to show their wind blown hair and their jaws clenched with conviction and maybe fear. Step by step, the sisters would walk up to the tent of meeting just as step by step, the members of the community would run to witness this crazy moment. Surely these girls weren't going to ask Moses for their father's <coughs> land, will they? As the sisters draw near the tent of meeting, the camera would so slowly start to focus on who was there. First you would see Moses, and then Eleazar the priest, and then the leaders of the temple, and then deep breath, the whole congregation. The text says that everybody and their mother is there to watch this go down. And if this was a movie, that's when the music would cut and the air would be still. And the sisters would look at one another and nod and the oldest would speak with tears in her eyes and say, our father was a good man. It is not fair that everything he had should be taken from us Please let us have a share. Don't take it all away. It surely sounds like movie-worthy drama, yeah. The sisters ask for their father's land, which was the same as asking to be valued in a society that had made it loud and clear that they were not. They risked their safety, their standing in society and the approval of the authorities for this moment. It's an act that makes me think of Rosa refusing to get off the bus and Jesus saying, you let those little children come to me.
It's unbelievably brave. However, what happened next is also pretty amazing. Moses goes to God to ask for advice, and in one of my all-time favorite verses in Scripture, God simply says to Moses, the women are right. (laughs) I'm sure God, being God, says this gracefully and patiently, but I also wonder if God has been waiting for Moses to ask this question. It almost sounds to me like God is saying, Moses, it's about dang time. Of course these women should get their father's land. And while we're on the subject, you actually need to change all of the laws so that daughters and sister can have that same access in the future. So that's what happens. Moses changes the laws. Because of these five brave sisters, for the first time in history, women are allowed to inherit their father's land alongside their brothers. It's the first step towards gender equality, and it would not have happened without a little bit of risk. The thing that strikes me the most about this text is that there is no precedent for what the daughters of Zelophehad have asked for. There is absolutely no reason that they should believe that Moses would ever grant them that land. They had no reason to believe that things would go over smoothly or that their present-day reality had a chance of changing. The challenges were big, and the odds were not in their favor. However, instead of assuming that things couldn't change, that the problem was too big, or that their voice wouldn't make a difference, they held on to some of that reckless hope, and they asked anyways. This hope would have made the daughters of Zelophehad excellent sports fans, but it also is what made them faithful followers of God. For at the core of this hope, the sisters of Zelophehad must have believed that if God is truly God, then the possibility of change and new life was and is always on the table. Friends, we could use that reminder. For it seems to me that maybe the first part of risking something big for something good is just being brave enough to imagine what could be. I met someone recently who, like the daughters of Zelophehad, shared that same prophetic ability to imagine the unseen. His name is Darren Babcock, and Darren is the founder and creator of Bonton Farms. I know many of you have heard of Bonton Farms. Our session has been there, the Garden Club, our children and our youth multiple times. It's a beautiful place. When I first moved to Dallas, I was curious to see if there were any urban community farms in the area, and I stumbled across Bonton Farms in a Google search. As I read, I learned that Bonton Farms is a community farm located in South Dallas in a neighborhood that has historically been overrun with poverty, crime, and drugs. Following World War II, the community became known as Bomb Town instead of Bonton, 
due to the frequent race-inspired house bombings that took place. It is still deeply segregated, and in that community, a mere 13 miles south of us, the rates of cancer, diabetes, and cardiovascular disease are twice the rates of this neighborhood. Before that farm, the people in Bonton had zero access to fresh food, a three-hour round-trip ride to the grocery store, and very few options for economic opportunity. However, that all began to change eight years ago. Darren Babcock, who was an, a white man in North Dallas, lost his wife in 2011. After struggling with his own addiction and grief, he decided he needed a fresh start. So Darren sold his house in Frisco and left his comfortable North Dallas life behind to start over somewhere new and he started over in Bonton. And as Darren made friends and built relationships, he began to realize that the people he loved around him were hurting due to a lack of fresh food. So Darren started a garden. I can't imagine that Darren could have known what was coming, coming. for what started out as a simple vegetable garden on an abandoned lot turned into a multi-acre farm with two locations and a fully functioning market. It is absolutely breathtaking to see what has become. So last spring, our session, the leadership body of this church, traveled to Bonton Farms for a meeting. We wanted to see what God was doing in that space. And while we were there, we had the privilege of meeting briefly with Darren. We gathered around him at the edge of the farm, and he told us stories. One of them, he said, was just a few months prior, he had been working in the garden, and he noticed a woman had pulled her car up beside the garden and parked. She got out by herself and began to weave through the rows of produce. And before long, Darren realized that she was weeping. She was standing in the middle of the garden, tears running down her face. So Darren took off his gloves and slowly walked over to this woman. He introduced himself and gently asked, Ma'am, are you doing okay? She nodded, and through tear-stained eyes, she told him about her upbringing in Bonton. She told him how that plot used to be an abandoned lot. She pointed to the rows of zucchini bursting with life and said, this half used to be a dark alley at the end of the road where my mother would park her car. I would stay here while she sold drugs. And then she told Darren how she came of age to do the same and how it ruined her life. At the end, she paused and she looked him in the eye. She said, I have been gone for a long time, but I heard that something good was happening in Bonton, so I had to come see it for myself. I think what that woman was saying through those tears is that she never would have believed something good could have come out of that abandoned lot. 
She never would have believed that change and new life could overcome that dark alley in such a way. And I don't blame her. It is hard to imagine what could be when we are so used to seeing what already is. But I think that's why we need today's story. Our world is fluent in pessimism and familiar with doubt. Risking something big for something good has never been easy. So may we remember today that if five orphaned sisters can change the laws of Israel, and if new life can grow in a dying neighborhood, then God is still God, and we still have a job to do. So my prayer for us today is that we could all be a little bit more like those baseball fans who are endlessly hopeful. But instead of cheering for a team, I pray we cheer for this city. And my prayer for us today is that we could all be a little bit more like Darren, who was not blinded by the brokenness in front of him, but instead chose to believe that a struggling neighborhood could absolutely be a place for new life. And my prayer for us today is that we could all be a little bit more like the daughters of Zelophehad, who risked something big for something good, because they were not afraid to imagine what could be. So church, I dare you. I dare you to imagine what it would look like for South Dallas to no longer be pocketed with food deserts. I dare you to imagine the interfaith community rallying together around issues of poverty and racism in our city. Imagine our church gaining a reputation for being the first green certified religious group in the city or for being a congregation that welcomes more new faces than we have before. Imagine the news reporting stories about this church, not just because a tornado hits, but because we are doing so much in this city that people can't help but notice. I dare you to imagine it, because I believe that God is ready to walk alongside us as we roll up our sleeves in every new season. So may we be like the daughters of Zelophehad. May we dare to dream and dare to imagine what could be. For God is still God which means the possibility of new life was and is always on the table. May it be so. Pray with me. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.